Hi everyone, it's Chris Lasarenko from Revolutions Per Movie. The show is a completely independent affair, so if you feel like supporting the show, the best way is to go over to patreon.com slash revolutionspermovie, where in exchange for your support, you can get weekly bonus Revolution Per Movie episodes, stickers, membership cards, upcoming guests include Anne Magnuson of Bong Water, Bob Burt of Sonic Youth and Pussy Galore, Jerry Casali of Devo, and Homer Flynn of the Cryptid Corporation representing the band The Residents. So please consider supporting the show over at patreon.com slash revolutions per movie. And thank you everyone for listening. Enjoy the show. My guest this week is Andrew Rieger. Andrew is a singer-songwriter behind Athens, Georgia's Elf Power, who formed in 1994 and have been touring the world and releasing records ever since. In 2022, the band released Artificial Countrysides, their 14th album in a catalog that includes collaborations with acclaimed producer Dave Friedman and legendary folk singer Vic Chestnut. The band has toured North America, Europe, and Japan many times, playing many classic venues and festivals, and Elf Power is a member of the heralded Elephant Six Collective with their friends and collaborators Neutral Milk Hotel, Apples and Stereo, Olivia Trimmer Control of Montreal, and many more, about whom a critically acclaimed documentary film, The Elephant Six Recording Company, was released in 2023. Band members also maintain and operate the Orange Twin Conservation Community, 155 acres of beautiful land on the outskirts of Athens that has initiated the development of a highly progressive, self-sustainable, and ecologically-minded cluster village and nature preserve, featuring a natural amphitheater that has hosted many concerts like Neutral Milk Hotel, Bonnie Prince Billy, Jan Deck, that's amazing, Tall Dwarves, Neil Hanberger, and more. Andrew also co-runs Orange Twin Records, which has released over 50 albums to date. He also teaches classes at the University of Georgia's Music Business Program, where he teaches classes like distribution of recorded music and live music and touring. And it's my extreme pleasure to welcome to Revolutions Per Movie, Andrew Rieger. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Great. Uh, I just got to see the Elephant Six Recording Company documentary. It's incredible. Yeah, it's getting a really good reception. People are liking it, so I'm excited about that. It it was uh, had such a heavy visual component. I would think I was kind of surprised that all of you seemed like budding filmmakers as well as musicians. Yeah, yeah, and lots of uh, lots of the people involved. Um, are also, you know, visual artists as well. So that was, uh, I thought that they, the filmmakers worked that really well into it. it. The way they did it made you physically feel the the music. It was really lovely. Like when things would slow down and stretch out and get very dreamy, I thought they did a really great job. And I especially liked the moments where it would just, somebody would be talking and then you just stop and thought and the music would just take over. I thought it was kind of beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so too. It was. I think for some people, maybe that was initially like a kind of a jarring technique, but I think once people kind of got used to it, then uh, it, it, I think it works really well. Well, that's what music does for me. You yeah. Know? Uh, I, I'm definitely a talker, but music makes me be quiet for a change. Yeah, it's true. On a film that has so much archival footage and so much history and so many members and so many stories to tell, this film took a long time to make. Like, how, how long ago did this start? I mean, I feel like I did those interviews like ten years ago. It's it's been a it's been a long time in the works. You know, it just took took a long time for 
for them to conduct all the interviews and then, you know, get it, get it edited and, um, you know, get all the archival footage together. I mean, Lance Bangs, who I'm sure you know that lives there in Portland, uh, yeah. was around in the early days. And so he, he did, a, you know, he captured a lot of those early, early concerts. Um, so yeah, his, his, his stuff was kind of integral to it for sure. And then all of a sudden, are you just surprised that it's here, that it's wrapped up after so much time? Yeah, because I've been seeing like, you know, cuts of it all along. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's felt like almost done for a couple of years now. Um, but yeah, I think the final cut and the final edit of, of it is uh, definitely the best the best one that I've seen. Did you set out to make music videos early on with Elf Power? Was that something you were interested in? Um, we didn't do a whole lot of, of music videos until, um, yeah, I think the first like real music video that we did was like in 2000, 2001, maybe. So, okay. um, so yeah, I mean, we didn't, we would do some, some kind of, um, some like experimental kind of arty little films just for our, our own amusement. But, um, but yeah. We we weren't we weren't really doing like traditional music videos early on. So when you're doing these films for your own amusement, was that just would you have screening parties later, or were they just things that just people made and you never saw again? Was it just a moment? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we would have little little screening screening parties from time to time uh, to view some of those, but um, but yeah, just pretty much for for our own amusement. Yeah, I guess film was expensive still yeah um where you all had your own recording materials and could work from your inside your house so i always wondered if things like that were cost prohibitive i know it was for our music scene here in the northwest yeah the film is just ripe with people standing there holding flowers in front of their heads or there's that one band um we were just talking about dixie blood mustache yeah, they made they made films. Yeah, dancing with umbrellas and yeah, they would show those films like as part of their performances. You know, they they would have like that film with the umbrellas was shown like as a as like a open opening to one of their one of their performances, and they would have like installations set up in the forty watt club where they would um you know you'd walk through these weird kind of fabric tunnels, and there would be people playing weird weird avant garde kind of noises like in little uh, on either side as you walk through the space it was they, yeah it was pretty cool yeah yeah a lot of the bands would have a tv set on stage or a film mm-hmm. projector and yeah like the, the music tapes had um or you know still have as part of their show this television um named static that actually is is uh, sang some of the songs and has like a face you know it's a sta- it's an actual static television with with like a, a face that speaks and sings and is like considered to be a member of the group so i was completely cool. obsessed with that when yeah. they showed that I, I i i wanted to see that in in real time so badly um one of the, one of the guys from olivia terminal control eric harris had one of those pixel vision cameras do you know what those are yes it's like a, those were amazing child's toy that records on a little cassette um and they would make some early films on that we actually he actually shot a video on the most recent elf power album using using the 
he still has that pixel vision camera and we we use that and it's got a really cool kind of i mean it's very similar to you know recording music on a four track cassette it's that same kind of grainy kind of low, low resolution look um it's kind of, yeah it's pretty good analogy analogy to a four track cassette recorder you know yeah i saw those recently um and i was going to ask you how you got those effects because they're it's really granulated yeah and i didn't even think that it was a pixel vision i just was like oh maybe they deteriorated the tape or they filmed it off the tv or whatever but that makes total sense it was yeah. super effective i really liked the new videos um the, the one where the guy with the beard shows up i don't is that who is that the he just kind of appears in the while you guys are playing he's wearing a oh. robe yeah, that's actually Robert Schneider from the Apples. And oh, really? I didn't recognize him. That's just like kind of a, a, a galactic wizard type character. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah, I knew I had to be someone, yeah. but I couldn't put my finger on it. But I love that the those videos have a, a feeling of like a monkey's episode video, music video, and strange underground new york 60s experimental filmmaking jammed together yeah. um it's it's like got this sweet goofiness but then it's got this kind of disturbing uh artistry to oh, it yeah yeah i thought they i mean i don't love making music videos i kind of feel like we like um you kind of have to try to make make them these days but uh i thought we'd I was kind of, I, I was pretty happy with the ideas that we came up with for, for this latest batch. And I, I love the eyelids videos too. Those, you guys have some great oh, ones off your, your recent album. I mean, especially with those, you know, facsimiles of, of yourself, those, those you know, models of yourselves <laughs> that look so, so weird and creepy. I love those. We never have to age anymore. We're now 55 forever, which is so funny to be like, okay, now <laughs> we're going to stop the aging process at the right. point where um there was really funny when um my wife is a visual artist and mm -hmm. um i was telling her i was going to make these paper mache heads and john was going to make the bodies mm -hmm. so i could slop together the newspaper on the balloon uh -huh. and then i walked into her room and i was like okay so how do i paint this what can you get me some paint for the eyes and the skin and what should i do for the hair and yeah. she was like do you just want me to do it and i was like thank you and the minute she started putting age lines on my doppelganger yeah like and making my eyes uneven and she just had the photographic realness i was like thank you that is exactly what i wanted <laughs> and so yeah 55 forever yeah. i enjoy making those videos but it's it's it is a lot of work and it's a lot to ask of people and i just like to do things quickly yeah. and not bother people for too yeah. long including the band i'm that's why in the end i'm often like well it's animated or let's use these fake things because not everyone is as comfortable as me lip syncing right. something yeah so it it can be a lot to ask in the film also there was a, a double whammy where they showed it twice of you and your milk experience yeah. totally shocked uh -huh. me i I am. I now can't unsee it. But where 
did that did that happen a lot? Was that a one time thing where where you did a performance on stage where you were sitting reading the newspaper? What? Yeah. Wh- so where did that come from? That was the first. That was like a variety show that we did at the Forty Watt Club, <laughs> um, and everybody kind of did a song or like a little skit, and I just wanted to do something ridiculous. So that's me and my friend Kai Riedel, who's was in the band Matcha. I don't know if you remember. I loved Matcha. Matcha. He's he yeah. was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's just a kind of a ridiculous thing that that looks good visually and then the second time that it's shown was that lance spangs got me to to do it again for (laughs) the bell and sebastian video dirty dream number two which he filmed in athens and had a a lot of us a lot of the elephant six folks were in that bell and sebastian video and so lance got me to to redo the milk trick for uh, for the (laughs) bell and sebastian video that is amazing my wife was watching it um with me was so grossed out. <laughs> She's not a milk fan anyway, but she was just like, "Oh, it's happening again. They do it twice in this film." But it's it is very uh it's it's dedicated yeah. and it's full on. And I did I, the 40 watt did not have a carpeted stage, did no, it? No, I had I had like a, a system <laughs> like a towel. Okay. Like, yeah, I had it I had it set up to to catch the, the spill off. I just wasn't sure if maybe that that the odor of the milk is still in the forty no, watt that, somehow. That it's was, just seeped it was down. Gross to watch those clothes. Oh yeah, it was after after <laughs> twice. I was like, I'm, I retired the, the milk trick. Well, did Elf Power feel um, any pressure to create visual components? Some of the stuff that a lot of the bands in Elf and Six, not all of them, but some of them were really full on like overload visually um where elf power to me has just always been like every fucking song is amazing like just you're an amazing songwriter and lyricist you're you're i just love your albums and it's you're and it's one of those things where there's no there's no waste on your records there's they're all they're really kind of i love that about that the way you write pop music but did you ever feel the the pressure or the urge to kind of like bring more of those elements into it or did you feel like well no we're 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 just doing our own thing and we're just part of this world yeah i mean i'm not like a i mean i'm not like a great visual artist the way that like will hart from olivia turmer control is i mean i think he out of all the elephant six bands he's you know he's the, the one who has just this really great identifiable kind of style of of his artwork that is on all their album covers um i mean i i doodle a little bit and some of my some of my drawings have been like on our t-shirts and stuff but you know i none of us were strong enough visual artists that we wanted to you know that we felt strong enough to come up with with um things for for our album covers um each time but but i think we always chose interesting interesting art or like friends of ours that were artists uh, you know chose interesting visual images for, for our covers yes. but but yeah we're, not, we're none of us were as accomplished um artists as like say will from olivia well all those early elephant six records um you know whether it was the minders or you or olivia tremor control those singles and things that were coming out in the in the early 12 inches definitely stood apart in a record store um had yeah. Maybe a tip of the hat to the flying nun sensibility, um, yep. where 
you weren't surprised when you flipped it over and you saw the logo on it that that's what it was. You're just drawn to it. Right. Um, in a kind of a funny way, like when you saw Pettibone stuff, you know, um, SST, you're just like, all right, this is part of this world. Um, yeah. So uh, I just I just always loved record covers that radiated some sense of strangeness to them, but not um, but not just being like, we're 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 aren't we crazy? You know, like, isn't this freaking yeah. you out? You know, it was never that. Yeah, it just it stood out. And I, I think that's amazing. I think this film really, it got into my psyche um, in a surprising way. I didn't expect it to move me as much as it did. Seeing the Velvet Underground film, the Todd Haynes film recently, and this film, just about place, time, and chance meetings, and how accidentally people come together to make something great, I yeah. think is, a, is, a, is an amazing thing about music and art. And I think this film really captures how people just found each other and it just became something out of this world. Oh, well, yeah. I'm glad you liked it so much. Yeah. I, I, congratulations. I think it's great. Yeah. I, I'm excited to see again. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody wants to talk about it on the show and go deep on it. It's, it's yeah. so rewatchable. Um, yeah, a great tribute to the community and also people in it who are still cr a creative force. Yeah, for sure. I am so excited to be talking about the film you picked today, Born the Boogie, the 1972 Mark Boland film, mm -hmm. uh, directed by Ringo Starr. Where did you first hear Mark Boland? I mean, I I think I first heard, like, of course, like get it on on the on the on like classic rock radio growing up you know as a kid and then also hearing like power stations cover of that that was kind of a hit in the 80s oh, right you know i think that was kind of my first introduction and you know i i liked the song but it it didn't it, it took it it took until um like the mid 90s when i was out of college that i that i came across a copy of the the subtitled t-rex album which I, that's one of my favorites because that's kind of like the bridge between the early kind of, kind of acoustic hippie Tyrannosaurus Rex records, which are amazing. Um, and then, you know, the full, the full band, like uh, Electric Warrior Slider era. Um, Cause you know, it's, it's half kind of acoustic, but then there's some electric guitar on, on there, but it's not like a full band, full rock album. So I, I really love that album because it's, yeah, it's kind of like the, the bridge between both of those worlds um which uh yeah i love I, lo I love uh really love really got into the early tyrannosaurus rex stuff then later and um and then also you know i mean i i like everything i mean some of some of the later albums were not that great but there were great songs on all the albums i mean the last album dandy in the underworld is not a great album but the title track is amazing you know so yes i feel like he was he was doing good stuff up until his death you know i agree and that record you mentioned is also my favorite mark bullen record the t-rex sometimes yeah, yeah it does split the difference he's starting to play electric guitar for the first time but it's mostly just uh, mickey finn on bongos yeah. and him on guitar and vocal and it's really stripped down and really intimate and doesn't really sound like anything else that was coming out at the time. Yeah. Songs like Jewel oh, are yeah. just incredible. Yeah. 
have you heard the John Children's stuff? John's Children's stuff? Yeah. That Boland yeah. was in? I mean, I know that Mark Boland was in kind of the earlier iteration of, of that band. Um, okay. But uh, although he doesn't, you know, he mostly was playing guitar. I think he sings lead on one or two of the recordings, but mostly it's it's somebody else that's singing lead on those, on those recordings. But uh, yeah, I, li- I like that stuff as well. The, the original drummer in John's Children became... Changed his name and became the bongo player in Tyrannosaurus Rex. Uh, yeah. um, Steve Peregrine took. Yes. And he was much more accomplished than Mickey Finn, who went to perform with Bolin and mm-hmm. T-Rex. But I guess there was a really ill-fated tour where Tyrannosaurus Rex as a two-piece were touring the U.S. And they were really competing with electric rock bands at the time and um, took when they were playing in LA would start whipping himself on stage until he bled. Wow. He said, uh, I took my shirt off in the sunset strip where we were playing and whipped myself till everybody shut up with a belt. You know, a bit of blood in the whole of Los Angeles shuts up. What's going on, man. There's some nutter attacking himself on stage. I mean, Iggy Stooge had the same basic approach, which when you listen to those records, it's so hard to imagine them going, violence on yeah. stage with with this because it's quite beautiful and right. peaceful yeah folky dragon elfish music mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's kind of shocking to hear that <laughs> <laughs> so where did you see this film initially it was really hard to find yeah i think i i mean i i think i bought a vhs copy of it at tower records in new york in the 90s and that's um yeah, you could you could find it. I think it was an import, you know, and you could only find it in in certain places like that, you know. But um, yeah, I'd heard about it for a couple of years before I was able to to get a copy of it. This film kind of catches the fire that Mark Bolin had stepped into, coming from the folk world and going full on electric. Mm-hmm. You know, Chuck Berry, Boogie, Proto Glam, but. I'm sure it was a bit of a Dylan thing too for fans who were having a hard time getting through. This is what you are now. Yeah. I I could see maybe if I was around back then um, and was a big fan of the early stuff, maybe I would have thought, you know, that, that, that the electric warrior stuff was more of like a a calculated attempt at, at a, you know, cashing in, which it kind of was, but he did it so well that I, you know, I think, uh, it felt authentic to me as well, you know. He's one of the biggest influences on my music. Like, right when I really got into... I, I mean, I was kind of getting into T-Rex, right, as I was starting to, to write songs and four-track a lot and, and record. And so it was kind of, like, the perfect timing of, like, right when I was kind of transitioning from just playing guitar to, to singing and, and writing songs myself. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say he's might be my my biggest influence lyrically or musically or where, where where does it begin with you yeah both lyrically and and musically i would say i mean i think his his lyrics are are really odd and and cool um and uh yeah i mean musically i just love the the i mean his melodies are great and um just the the simplicity of it is uh is you know it seems real easy but it's not you know it's not easy to write 
songs that are that are that that catchy and simplistic you know yeah like metal guru yeah this is like a perfect pop song but mm-hmm. no one really had written that before yeah for sure do you have a favorite bolin lyric oh gosh um there's i mean there's so many good ones i, I mean i i love uh, she's got the universe reclining in her hair from Jeepster. It's, That's it's good. such a good line. <laughs> yeah, I really like. Uh, it's weird. I don't know why, but I, um, John Lennon knows your name, and I've seen his. Yeah, it's just such a weird line. And then he goes rock, and yeah. then he does this beautiful double guitar solo. Yeah, T Rex also feels like it's very full of excess and um Mm -hmm. you know visconti's production is very lush and orchestrated did you ever pull any of those production techniques into your own work um i don't know about the i mean certainly not really like the lushness of the strings like on cosmic dancer or anything but um definitely like some of the just the the guitar sounds and um you know i i think he's he's kind of underrated as a guitar player i mean i've even seen seen people criticize him and say that they don't think he's that good of a guitar player, but I, I, I don't agree with that at all. You know, I think he, I don't either. Uh, I mean, yeah, certainly maybe he's not as virtuosic as Eric Clapton or Eddie Van Halen or somebody, but he's just got such a great melodic sense and great tone and um, just, yeah, great style. Yeah. It's, he's got a fantastic energy. And I think he's one of the most charismatic guitar players. Mm-hmm. You can just feel his personality and joy. And in this film, he's he's laughing while he's playing guitar. He's in heaven. And I just think it's really joyous yeah. to see someone just like tip their head back and laugh. It's just it's just strange, but it's it works and his and it comes through in his melodies. And his solos are untraditional. Yeah. And uh, I just I just fell in love with it. It just seems so different. And I, it's interesting to think in 1972, how many people were also wanting to be in his orbit. You know, you have Ringo Starr and Elton John and Bowie and people wanting to, to kind of hang around with this strange, elfish rock bopper yeah it's it's kind of amazing that the beatles were like this is the future yeah ringo particularly seemed i mean it seemed like they're really good friends and that they they uh so they they you can really tell that they're having fun you know some of the sillier kind of little skits that they do where ringo's like dressed up like a like a mouse and they're doing kind of dada poetry little bits um you know they seem like they're they're just having having a really good time and not taking it too seriously. And, you know, they they realize that it's ridiculous. Um, and that's one of the other things I like about the movie is like, like, you know, it, it, it opens with with, you know, the, the live um, one of the live concert shots. And there's a huge cardboard cutout of himself on stage and he's wearing wearing a T-shirt with his own face on it. Yes. It's like this unbelievable arrogance but it's kind of poking fun at that as well it's obviously it's just so ridiculous and over the top that that it's kind of making fun of that that whole thing that that whole you know kind of uh over overblown 
egotism that's so big in rock music. But I think he also owned it. I think he he was a, had a little bit of that. I think he thought he was pretty fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> and was yeah. kind of a star. Right. And I am obsessed with those cardboard cutouts on stage and that yeah. shirt. There's an illustrated yeah. shirt he's wearing. And yeah. the last time I watched it, I noticed up in the alcoves, there are additional different images of Mark Boland as well above them on the stage. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned that there are these vignettes in the, in the film as well as concert footage. It, it's a short film. The film is 67 minutes long. Yeah. And so one of the, the staged segments it is basically a minute and two second shot of Ringo and in, a, in that mouse outfit and Bolin as a Mad Hatter driving on a tarmac towards the camera for a minute and two seconds. So already now the movie is 66 minutes long, right? It's shorter. Yeah. You're getting less Bolin already. They arrive. He's reciting poetry. I, I found the uh, the poem that he reads in the car. I don't know if I should do the voice, but I'll. Electric wind. Footsteps send me to the citadel of your soul. Rock and roll children born to dance to the beat of your heart and die to the rhythm of the universe. There you go. He loved putting rock into his lyrics, too. Yeah. I don't yeah. think there's any other lyricist who mentioned rock and roll in his songs as as much as he did. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's kind of beautiful and slightly funny and pretentious and cool yeah. all at the same time. Yeah. And then Ringo's just eking next to him as a mouse. And then in the, in the field, slowly being pulled across that you can't see how is the giant cutout of Mark Bolin with a guitar. Yeah. Then all of a sudden the eater of cars shows up, <laughs> which is based on a lyric uh, of Bolin's um, from a previous album uh -huh. and starts eating the side mirror. Yep. And the, the actor who's playing the eater of cars was also in magical mystery tour. Right. Um, as yeah. a photographer. Yep. Um, and also uh, later played one of the Oompa Loompas in the 71 film. But Ringo obviously met him on the on the shoot of Magical Mystery Tour. And there's definitely a direct line from that film to this film in terms of the the stage sequences. Yeah, I could definitely see some Magical Mystery Tour influence on on Born to Boogie for sure, at least in those in those sequences. So the, the concert footage is it's at the beginning of T-Rex mania. There are people yeah. with the scarves that say Bolin on it. There, There's a little bit of a tip of the hat to the glitter that's forthcoming on Glam, but not as much as you see in the Ziggy Stardust film later down the right. road. It, it has a Beatlemania feel. Yeah. Some of the criticism that I've heard about Bolin was he was kind of a teeny bopper that he had these young fans, mm -hmm. young rock fans, and people didn't take him seriously. I think he's a really amazing artist who moved through folk and rock and the beginning of glam and the end of glam and disco and funk. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think of him and, and Bowie, you know, as, as you know, they were friends and kind of competitors and, um, 
you know, I do, I do think of them, them kind of being, having some similarities, but, uh, but yeah, but Bowie was taken more seriously, I think by critics and, 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 uh, you know, like as, as more of a serious artist, whereas, like you said, Mark Bowen was, was kind of seen as like a, a a teeny bopper and like catering to, to, you know, teenagers or whatever but and I, I mean there is some truth to that but uh he doesn't I mean those songs are so so good like I don't mind that it's you know I, I love like Slade and Sweet and all the stuff that's even even cornier than yes. some of the cheesier Mark Bolan songs so I have no problem with it at all <laughs> agreed agreed yeah. yeah and he he definitely embraced uh American rock too as an influence yeah um where Bowie seemed more um, British to me in his influences. Yep. So yeah. uh, I think hearing Benga Gong on classic rock radio was kind of strange growing up because I, I didn't know what T-Rex was. I couldn't find those records very easily. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I just remember hearing that song on the radio growing up and, and liking it okay, but I wasn't, you know, it, it, it didn't really I mean it didn't really make me want to seek or like you said you just couldn't you didn't really find his his records in stores you know i mean he wasn't he wasn't that you know that well known in america um so so yeah it, it just took took me a long time to to kind of follow up on on that you know initially just hearing that one song on the radio i used to play this film all the time in the video store just so much energy pouring off that live footage. They're heavily overdubbed later, which is really weird because they're still kind of sloppy. But his, you know, his voice goes away, his his head goes away from the mic and you can still hear him singing. There's backing vocals. You don't see backing vocalists on stage. The, the guitars are doubled. Um, there's double leads. So I, I found it a really interesting choice to still keep the energy and kind of the the slop that was coming off of that performance, but then layer on it to make it more professional, I guess. It's it's a strange choice. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the footage, um, one of my favorite parts is the, the scenes w w with him and Ringo and Elton John, you know, playing Tutti Frutti and Children of the Revolution. It's amazing. But, but those, those performances seem like they're, they're not exactly live because there's this, it seems like he's, <laughs> covering his mouth with the microphone to mask the fact that it's not yes. quite on. You know what I'm talking about? It's very strange. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, he's sitting inside the piano that Elton's playing, you know? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> and there's also another sequence where um, they're having a picnic, I guess, with yeah. some nuns eating hamburgers and Mickey Finn is a vampire and, that was shot on John Lennon's estate. I guess that's where they shot the Imagine video too. Right. Yeah. And he does a pretty amazing medley. It's like um, I know Hot Love is in there, and um, what else? Maybe Slider, a little bit of Jeepster. Yeah. Do you know who that actor is that is cooking the hamburgers? He looks familiar, and I I meant to read that, but I couldn't. I couldn't. Uh... Yeah, the waiter is mm -hmm. a guy named Jeffrey Balden, and okay. 
he was in a show called All Creatures Great and Small, and he was in a 80s cult hit called The Monster Club. But okay. I guess he was best known for playing a character called Cat Weasel. Oh, right. Yeah. Which was a medieval wizard who's transported to the modern age. Have you seen that? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I heard that Mark Bowen was a huge Cat Weasel fan. He talks about <laughs> wow. it in, in, in interviews. And I tracked down, um, I think before YouTube, I found, I like ordered some like dubbed video cassettes of it and uh it's a it's a fun show it's like a a guy who gets tr uh tr time travels from like medieval times to present times and is like like confounded by modern technology and stuff it's it's a pretty it's a funny show but yeah i guess i didn't realize that was that was the guy who played cat weasel yeah that's so cool that he was like yeah. i want cat weasel yeah. yeah to be in this and Say yeah. some people like to rock, some people yeah. like to roll. I mean, I think it's a really fun, inviting film. If you're not a Mark Boland fan, is this a watchable film, or do you have to kind of be in love with Boland to love this? Uh, no, I think it, it could, I think a casual viewer would would enjoy it. At least the, I mean, they might think that the the stage sequences are, <laughs> are a bit silly, but. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the the live performances are kind of undeniable. You know, if you're a music fan, I think you would you would think that those are great. You know. Yeah. Do you have a favorite live song from that from that film? Uh, I mean, God, there's so many good ones. Um, I know. I mean, Hot love, Hot love is really good. That just that that ending just he's really whipping the the crowd into a frenzy. You know, that just super repetitive ending is is so good. Um. And then, yeah, I guess at the end of Get It On, where he's playing the, the guitar with the with the tambourines and like just doing super noise, kind of freak out using the tambourine as like a slide on the guitar. I timed it. That is an eleven minute version, yeah. and he yeah. plays a tambourine's tambourine on a guitar solo yeah. for over six minutes of that eleven minute song. But it flies by, yeah, and it yeah. sounds cool and it's weird. And um, it's just electrifying. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely can see like some Jimi Hendrix influence on at least on that part, you know. Yeah, there's a couple other great live concert moments. One is they cut to one lone dude in the audience bummed out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. And then it pulls back really quick, and it shows him surrounded by all these fans going like. Ah! Yeah, and then it cuts back to him. It's just so such a funny choice to be like, this guy's not enjoying the Mark Bolan experience yeah. at all. Yeah, and the other scene I love is Mickey Finn yelling off stage to his drum techs, his bongo techs, to come fix a couple of his mics. There, are, yeah. there are sixteen mics on those bongos, and he's like, "Get over here." get it I, they're not right they're, you know and I, I just thought it was such a funny thing it was it's the most over mic'd instrument on stage <laughs> yeah. and i it just it cracked me up i love the acoustic uh version of spaceball ricochet too where he's kind yes. of sitting cross-legged on the on the floor that's a kind of a nice kind of bring it down moment that and cosmic dance are really really cool versions of acoustic versions yeah he seems really um comfortable and again, microphones kind of drooping and he's kind of laughing and 
he seems he's, I don't know. I, I don't know much about Mark Bullen as a person, but he seemed charming as hell on stage. Yeah. He just gives yeah. off a charisma. And again, that's why I think there are some guitar players like you mentioned Eric Clapton. He may be a good guitar player, but I'm not getting necessarily a sense of who he is as a person in his playing. Yeah. And Mark yeah. Bolin, I totally get a sense of who this person is. And yeah. um, and I, I think that's wonderful. And so I tend to gravitate towards players who are more like that. Yeah, I mean, same here. Like, you know, somebody like Kurt Cobain, who technically is maybe not a, a great guitarist, but he's just got such a, you know, his, you can really hear his personality and, and his like leads and stuff, you know? I had another question concerning concert films. I just recently saw the extended Ziggy live concert film, which focuses a lot on audience members, just like this film does. And I always wonder if some of the people who are focused on in the film might have never seen the film that they're being focused on because they tend to zero in on a couple subjects over and over again in these films yeah. and you start to know them like oh there's red haired yeah. curly haired glitter girl yeah it's always been a mystery to me i'd always like to find out if these people ever knew yeah man wouldn't that be cool to have like a a an update like where are they now like if they could track down those audience members and talk to them about what they're what they you know their remembrances of that i know that when jeff krulik shot heavy metal parking lot he tracked down a lot of the people and some of them had never seen it and they were like yeah. you're a star like people know you they love you they quote you and other people were right. like yeah my friends told me they saw it on you know uh -huh. vhs and Nice, nice yeah. to meet you. Oh yeah, that was a wild show. So, it just got me thinking. You know, even even in something like the Elephant Six movie, there is so much of it is concert footage and people dancing and being part of it and being pulled on stage. It, I mean, it seems like that audience will be very aware that this is coming out <laughs> compared to yeah. maybe a, a twelve thousand seat Bolin concert freakout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah have you ever done bowling covers yeah um we've done let's see we've we've done we've got recordings uh actually the only time that elf power was ever played on john peel's radio show when he was still alive was him playing our cover of dandy in the underworld which was on like a uk uh compilation album and uh yeah, apparently John Peel liked our version of it enough to play it on his show, so that was cool. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, um, we did a uh, we have a version of Hot Love on our cover song album. We recorded a, a, a version of the slider early on, but never never released it. So yeah, we've done a couple. We've played a 20th Century Boy live here and there. So yeah, done done several. <laughs> Do you feel like cover versions should stay pretty close to the material, or do you think that it needs to just break away from what the original artist was doing? Um, I mean, I like I like hearing 
drastic, you know, reinterpretations of, of other people's songs. But then I also like, you know, a fairly faithful cover, just if it's done well. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think either way is necessarily, necessarily better. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I like to think that we, we kind of did our, put our own stamp on our versions of, of the T-Rex song. It's so cool about John Peel too. Yeah. Because he was a he was a big early adopter yeah, with he was. Tyrannosaurus Rex, correct? Yeah, yeah, he was a big supporter. I I got the feeling that when T Rex came around, he was, I don't think he was playing them on his show. Right. Yeah. I also found out that T Rex record sales were accounting for six percent of all British record sales. Wow. <laughs> and at one point, a hundred thousand copies a day were being sold. Uh-huh. So. I guess I was always shocked that he was ground zero with glam. His music is very grounded, I feel. Um, and that, that always was interesting to me as somebody who is considered yeah the person who started the glam movement. Yeah, and it has, you know, very, like you said earlier, like very strong ties to like 50s rock, you know, Chuck, Chuck Berry influences and stuff like that. Even like some of his stage moves and Horn to Boogie are, are like, pretty much just uh ripped off from chuck berry you know he kind of does yeah. like the the duck, the duck walk kind of kind of moves yeah. and stuff like that <laughs> yeah i guess where a lot of the color in his music comes from is his lyrics yeah there's some great moments with fandom of people storming the stage i don't know why i always enjoy that when audience members break through and they hug someone i know it's scary I just, whenever that happens in a film, I just find it electrifying. And in this film, he's just whipping people up and it's getting higher and higher. And there's that sequence where someone does get on stage, (laughs) hugs them, pulled off, and then it's kind of calmed down. And then somebody from the wings tries to get through and they pull her back. And, and he's just kind of like, yeah, just a day's work. Yeah. You have to wonder if they, they let the one guy on because they knew (laughs) it would make a good, good moment. Yeah, he's yeah. a good-looking guy, too. I just love his mm-hmm. style. He's full-on. Yeah. The film is bookend also by a sequence of Mark playing guitar, being a complete maniac with just his Gibson and uh, a Fender amp. That's how the film begins, and then it ends with Mark in the same space, this little stage space in his own world, and then a little girl comes up to him and he stops and he walks off stage with her. But of course, yeah, it's not a complete film without the eater of cars showing up again yeah, to start eating <laughs> his Fender amp. And I don't know. I love that sequence. I think building mm-hmm. a fake Fender amp so that someone could just start eating it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I consider one of the high special effects marks of our of our lifetime. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty great part. <laughs> Are there any songs that you wish were performed or represented in this movie out of his career? I mean, it would have been nice to to see to hear some of the early, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex stuff because I love that stuff so much, but I I can see why he wanted to kind of focus it on on his, you know, the hits of of you know, it's mostly Electric Warrior and um, Slider era stuff, you know. So, I mean, 
yeah, of course, as a fan, you could always have a wish list of obscure obscurities that you wish that that he would have played. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I feel like the 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 choices that he made were were pretty great, pretty great ones, you know. It doesn't feel like a sixty-seven minute film to me. Yeah, yeah. I I was really shocked at that running time. Yeah. It seems pretty full and complete. And I think Ringo did a pretty good job. Yeah. I mean, there's some dumb stuff like them cracking each other up on the tarmac trying to say, some people like to rock, some people like to roll, and then they just start. It's just, they got the giggles, they're high or whatever. and But it's kind of yeah. lovely because they're they're just like, well, we have all day. We're not worried about wasting yeah. film or money. Yeah. And the fact that they, they put it in there... Um, I don't know, I think it's super charming, and I think the film it works on that level. Yeah, for sure. You also, at one point, visited where Mark tragically had his car crash. It, what What mm-hmm. is that area like? Is there some like something set up for him, a remembrance? Yeah, so there, it's it's where yeah where his car went off the road in London and crashed where he where he died, and there's um. There's yeah, fans have set up like a memorial there. There's like a statue of him, and um, and then there's there's just like fans come and leave flowers and drawings and stuff there. So there's just like these a little kiosk with all these all these drawings and things pinned to it. And um, yeah, it's just a really cool. Uh, I I was in London a couple of years ago, and I and I and I uh yeah made kind of a pilgrimage to because i'd heard about it and it's kind of hard to find but you can find directions online um but it's yeah it's just in like a residential area and um there's nobody else there when i when i went there but um yeah it's pretty cool that's amazing that's lovely he was having at the time of his death he was having a resurgence he had his own tv show mark have you seen that footage of that show yeah i love that that show yeah, there's some great performances. He was, you know, Hawkwind uh, does a really good one on there, and um, Generation the, X, the damn Generation X. Yeah, there's some great, and then that that scene of him and Bowie performing together, like right before he died, where he gets falling, gets shocked by the microphone, like kind of playfully falls down. You know, it's great, and it, you know, I love that certain artists were given a pass in the in the punk world. You know, like yeah. Like Phil Linen from uh, Thin Lizzy. They were like, we yeah. love him. You know, yeah. we want to collaborate. We want to be on your TV show, Mark Ball. And of course, you, you meant a lot yeah. to us instead of, you know, looking down their nose at it. Yeah. One of my favorite things on the show is he'll be perform. He'll, he'll be lip syncing on this show to kind of different recorded versions than the albums. I think it probably had to do with the rights or licensing to perform them on yeah on the stage so it's also interesting to watch because you're hearing these singular versions that you can't find anywhere else so he'll be doing a different version of jeepster and he'll be like stomping around the stage being a maniac and and like jumping and squatting and just doing everything and then he runs over to the live mic and he's like hey hey yeah uh that was called jeepster uh, coming up, he's just totally out of breath, just totally just he's put everything into this thing. And I love that he runs over yeah. and he's just like, huh, okay, it's just, yeah. it just seems so charming and um, cool. Yeah. It's nice to meet somebody who 
it, that this artist means as much to them as as it did to me because i yeah. feel like there's my life pre bolin and my life post bolin he's de- he's like one yeah. of the 10 things i've heard in my life that flipped a switch in me yeah same here yeah that's yeah that's amazing so at the end of every interview i ask uh, the same question but i tailor it to the film so it's on a scale from one to ten with one being the lowest for the film and ten being the highest mm-hmm. on a scale from one to ten how many mark bolin cutouts do you give this film <laughs> oh gosh i would have to say let's say nine <laughs> that's healthy i love it that's right that is the right yeah. answer <laughs> it is because 10 you gotta move them when you when you move to your next place it's a lot of it's a, it takes up a lot of space yeah yeah so yeah and as much as i love born to boogie i mean it is it is flawed in some ways i i wouldn't say it's my absolute favorite like concert film ever but it's it's up there it's really it's really good but it's you know if i wasn't as big of a super fan of him as i am maybe i would i would I would love it a little bit less. So. I think it's it's what we got. I mean, that's the, one of the things about it is it, it this is what we have. Yeah. And so you kind of have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt that it's goofy at times. Yeah. But the performances are undeniably fantastic. Yeah, agreed. And it's just a great era of his songwriting. It's just, there, there's not a weak track in the film. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. It was really great to see you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Some people like to rock. Some people like to roll. But a moving and a grooving... is going to save your soul. Satisfy your soul. Satisfy your soul. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to Revolutions Per Movie. We release new episodes every Thursday, so be sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the show. And if you've enjoyed this, it would mean a lot to me if you would rate and review it as well. You can follow us on social media at Revolutions Per Movie and also find out more information about our various guests in the episode show notes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Bye!